Today from the Global Lane, Seismic Shift, a new number one on the Open Doors list. This is the number one perpetrator of violence and pressure and, and discrimination against Christians in the world. A look at the country replacing North Korea as the world's worst persecutor of Christians. 49 years of legalized abortion throughout the USA. Is a change gonna come? A woman has a right to choose what she does with her body. The baby's not her body. Where's the lawyer for the baby? How can the dream survive? Americans drowning in debt. It's embarrassing. People feel shame. It's overwhelming. And protecting American Jews from anti-Semitic violence. This was an act of terror. And it's all right here on The Global Lane. One in seven Christians worldwide face persecution for their faith in Jesus. That's about 360 million people. Each year, Open Doors USA publishes its list of countries where Christians face the worst persecution. For 20 years, North Korea has topped the list at number one. This year, a seismic shift. North Korea is no longer ranked number one on the World Watch list. Well, joining us to explain is Open Doors president and CEO, David Curry. David, it's always good to talk with you. So which country tops the list this year and why? This year, Afghanistan is number one. It's the number one perpetrator of violence and pressure and, and discrimination against Christians in the world. North Korea hasn't gotten better. Afghanistan's gotten worse. The violence, the tracking of Christians, the killing of Christians. This is, unfortunately, I'm afraid, what we're going to come to expect from Afghanistan in the future. David, during your press conference, you featured a former Afghan Muslim now a Christian who described what is happening there. I'd like to play a short clip. It's very hard when you want to have freedom of faith and freely read our Bible, freely share our faith. Always there is a big, huge fear in our heart. And David, you mentioned that Christian women are facing the greatest threat of persecution, but it's not just Afghanistan. Where else are Christian women under attack? In extremist Islamic societies, uh, women are already discriminated against. But to be a Christian on top of that brings shame to their family and the culture in their minds uh, based on their extreme ideologies. And so then Christian women can be targeted for rape, uh, kidnapping, can be forced into marriages with uh, Muslim men in some of these extremist societies. So you have all of these kinds of violence. In Nigeria, the north of Nigeria, which has 13 states under Sharia law, you have thousands of young girls who are kidnapped with impunity by these extremists in Boko Haram, an ISIS-affiliated group, and, and nothing can be done to help these young girls, or at least very little is being done. David, I noticed from your top 10 list that seven of the top 10 are Muslim countries. You already talked a little bit about that, but why is that? What's going on in these other places? Well, you have some failed states there. You've got a number of things going on. These are tribal regions, Afghanistan, Somalia, Yemen, uh, Libya. These are all failed states that are largely tribal, but they have extreme ideologies, and it's a toxic mixture. But you also have extremists now, Hindu extremists, which are running uh, India, which is why India is number 10 on the world watch list. So religious extremists and the governments they run or influence now control and are perpetrators at the top of the world watch list, these countries, these regions. And it makes a difference for us, too, because these are the regions that tip over into greater chaos. 
maybe I could use Nigeria as an example. Extremists largely control and influence the north of Nigeria, a democratic country. It's now tipped over into Niger, Cameroon, Chad, Burkina Faso. They're putting together, they're cobbling together a caliphate, and it will have control over oil fields, over uh, or massive resources, and potentially launch out terrorism uh, to the to the Western world as well. So that that's what's at stake here. Yes, that whole uh, Sahel uh, region there. And how concerned are you that Secretary of State Antony Blinken dropped Nigeria from the U.S. government's country a particular concern list? Why did he do that? Even though Open Doors ranks it as the seventh worst persecutor of Christians. Well, the argument on that side of the fence is that the government itself is not doing it, but that's woefully insufficient. We don't see it that way in any other region of the world. The reality is the government of Nigeria, President Buhari, is of the Fulani tribe. Some of these extremists come from that tribal area. They're, they're still extremists. Their ideology is, uh, is uh, extremist Islam, uh, but he has some sympathy to that. So what you see is the government is not protecting this region. And it means millions of people have been forced to flee to the cities in the south. They have entire villages uh, that are burned to the ground, uh, the Christian villages, uh, as I said, kidnapping of young girls. This region since 2014 has gotten totally out of control, and Nigeria is just sort of sitting back watching it happen. They're responsible. So finally, David, tell me, which country is on your radar screen other than Afghanistan, North Korea? Which one got your attention more so this year than in the past? I continue to be worried about, about China at number 17. The violence, the public violence is low. It's why, and, and of course, it's so high in some of these other places. But their system of control, the surveillance, the blanket of intelligence, using artificial intelligence to target Christians. They're monitoring stuff online. We're estimating, Gary, that 80% of the churches that have met commercially in commercial buildings or public buildings have been forced to fracture into small groups. And then their small group online is being monitored and shut down if that's more than a few dozen people. So that is, I'm afraid, a blueprint that's going to be copied by other countries. Yeah, coming soon to a country near you. Okay, David Curry, CEO of Open Doors USA. I'm assuming the full list is on your website at opendoorsusa.org, correct? Absolutely. The list, the prayer guide, and the stories. Okay, thank you, David, for sharing your time with us. Thank you. 49 years have now passed since the landmark 1973 Supreme Court ruling Roe v. Wade, making abortion on demand legal throughout America. Is the U.S. Supreme Court now poised to overturn that decision later this year? If not, what might it mean for the rights of the states to enact pro-life laws? Well, joining us is Evangelist Alveda King, the founder of Speak for Life. Mrs. King, it's always a pleasure to have you with us. So abortion peaked at an annual rate of 1.6 million in 1990. Today, the number is down to about 900,000 per year. So is the pro-life movement making some progress? Are more young women choosing life? If so, why? Gary, what a wonderful question. As one who has been pro-life since 1983, when I had a conversion in my heart, and accepted Jesus as my Lord. Prior to that, I was actually pro-choice. I had had abortions and a miscarriage because of the abortions and all of that. However, through these years, we have seen that there were over 60 million babies legally, mm 
aborted in America because of legislation Roe v. Wade. However, we're discovering that the young people, again, are keeping their babies, the young ladies and the young men. We are very happy about that. There has been a massive education campaign across America. So people are becoming aware. And the question that I ask, I put it this way, a woman has a right to choose what she does with her body. The baby's not her body. Where's the lawyer for the baby? How can the dream survive if we murder our children? And so the young people are able to think, to study, to research. And again, women are going through with their pregnancies a little more now. And we are happy about that. Well, based on some of the statements that she made, it appears the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, was a racist. Her defenders say she was not a racist, just an advocate of eugenics. But many people believe she intentionally placed abortion clinics in poor neighborhoods to eliminate the black race. So why do you think we're still seeing so many abortion clinics in black neighborhoods today? What should be done about it? One thing we have with the eugenicists, even with the critical race theory and all of that, Margaret Sanger considered herself to be part of a, a superior race. Now, there's one race, one blood, Act 1726, one human race. We're not colorblind. We see ethnicity. But there's one human race. So when you have a eugenicist, a socialist or a Marxist like Margaret Sanger was during her life, a racist, because thinking that you are from one race and need to get along with another race is not consistent with science or Bible truth. There's one human race. So any group of people in an ethnic group who want to be superior will start to do things that are inhumane, that gives you abortion, sex trafficking, some of the uh, terrible aspects of poverty, the orphans and the widows all become victimized by a thought that there is one class or one group or one race of people who is superior. That's just not true. We have to have human dignity from the womb to the tomb. I'm with the America First Policy Institute, for example, a 501c3 group, and we are think and do tank. I am the chairman of the American dream for that group. We know that every human being, whether it's a baby in the womb, an old person, a veteran, sick person, rich people, poor person, human beings. Yes, it's all about dignity and respect. And Americans just celebrated Martin Luther King Day and I want to know, if your Uncle Martin and your father, A.D. King, were alive today, would they be leading the pro-life march in Washington as they did the civil rights marches of the 1960s? How would they view the pro-life movement? They would not be leading the pro-life movement. They were for human dignity. They would be including everything we've just named, including even fights over COVID, who took the shot, who didn't, why did you take it, why didn't you take it? They would put it all together into prayer into positive action regarding human dignity, and they would be praying. You know, that's the real deal. The civil rights movement of the 20th century began in the church with preachers. Preachers and prophets led that movement. Today, our movements tend to be led by politicians and rioters. Mm. So we need to return to God. That's probably the first thing we have to consider as we are trying to get solutions to these problems. Well, we wonder if the Supreme Court's going to return, uh, return to God. They're expected to rule on the Mississippi case by late spring. So what decision are you expecting and how will it impact abortion on demand in the United States? 
I'm really praying very hard for that. That's called the Dobbs case. We also know over in Texas, the heartbeat bill has, is being challenged again, even though it was passed, all of that. So what we have to do is seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. And how should we then pray in advance of that Supreme Court decision later this year? Let's go with the model prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and you. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, Jesus said healing is a children's bread. So life and those little babies in the womb, we just have to really trust God and then respond accordingly, vote accordingly, teach accordingly, love others accordingly. And I don't, I just, the preachers need to wake up. I'm an evangelist. I'm not a pastor. I'm an evangelist. But this message has to be told in every generation, absolutely. But now in every decade, we have to hold these truths to be self-evident that all people are created equal and then begin to move forward from there with the grace and mercy of the Lord. Okay, celebrating life, Evangelist Alveda King, founder of Speak for Life. Always a pleasure. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Blue Monday. It happens every year on the third Monday of January. It's a time when reality sets in and millions of people start feeling the weight of post-Christmas credit debt. You may be shoveling snow this week, but how do you dig yourself out of that debt? Well, joining us is John Nicholas. He's author of Debt Free ASAP. Mr. Nicholas is also a pastor and former pro football player. John, it's good to talk with you. So for many Americans, the bills for Christmas, those purchases, they're starting to come in. Inflation is rising now at an annual rate of 7%, and it may be a bit more difficult this year. But where do we start, John? Well, we start with assessing our situation. And I'm going to just say there's three basic steps. And this comes from my personal experience uh, as a high-flying entrepreneur who ran into some very serious debt uh, in between ventures, uh, as well as working inside the debt relief industry. So this is not just you know one person's idea. This is after dealing with people from every situation, every background throughout America. Three basic steps. Assess your situation, review your options, and create a plan with whatever support you need to succeed. So I would say we would start at the first step, Gary, and that would be assessing your situation. How do you do that properly? Any ideas? Well, I would, and when it comes to credit cards, I'd say start with those higher interest cards first. Well, I'll tell you what, for most people, and, and this is this may sound strange because some people follow their finances to the penny. I would tell you that the vast majority of Americans do not, especially those who are struggling because there's all kinds of issues of life. There's unemployment, there's health issues, there's taking care of grandma or kids that are uh, having trouble or divorce or separation. There's so many different uh, conditions that can can lead to significant debt, that it's overwhelming. And I can just tell you, I've had people crying on the phone because of, of the emotions. It's embarrassing. People feel shame. And it, it can just be something where they close the desk drawer and they don't even look. So the first thing 
is you got to see where you're at. And, you know, I offer free forms to help people do this, but you can just get a list and list every one of your uh, obligations, even cars, homes, or anything like that. But really the credit cards, of course, personal credit lines, anything like that. You have to get visibility. That may sound basic, but that's where it starts. John, I know for many millennials and other young people, it's hard to pay rent or mortgage, uh, utility bills, food, raise kids, as you mentioned, especially if they have massive student loan debt. You attended an Ivy League school, and I know tuition there isn't cheap at Brown, so student debt can be almost like having a second mortgage. So what can people do about that? Yes, many have are, are saddled with heavy uh, student loans. And those loans are, are what I would call good debt. They're low interest. They're, they're high value, generally speaking. But they squeeze you on every other front. And so a lot of times we find people who are using credit cards for food or just basic living expenses because there just isn't room. When that's the case, again, it, you have to see where you're at, get a good review of, of, your, of your accounts, then you can look at some options. And like you said a minute ago, maybe you go after your high interest uh, you know, obligations first. Maybe you just go after your lowest balances because those are the ones that give you momentum and some encouragement as you pay them off. But there's other things to consider. There's consolidation programs or loans. There's hardship programs. There's uh, settlement, settlement programs by yourself or with help. And there's even bankruptcy issues that may fit certain people's situations, even though there's a heavy stigma that people feel about it. You know, it, it, it stems from, from biblical uh, laws back in Leviticus, you know, to give, uh, you know, to, to, to free slaves, to uh, forgive debts, to return lands to original owners and things like that. So it, it's inspired at least by the grace of God. During this last couple of years, because of the unemployment, the lost jobs, uh, damaged businesses, uh, divorces, separations, health issues, these are the things that cause significant debt. We're not talking about, oh, I'm just a little late on, you know, I, I, I ran up my card a little bit for the holidays. There's at least 50% of Americans who don't have $500 in an emergency situation. And they're usually just strung out with lots of different kinds of debt. And, and so I, I'm trying to help, help you whether you have a little debt or you've got a serious problem because there's options for each. You're a former pro football player, so who are you picking to win the Super Bowl this year? Wow. Uh, I guess I would lean towards uh, the Buccaneers or the Chiefs. Uh, I guess that's, that's how I'm seeing it, although there's dangerous teams everywhere you look. So Green Bay is no slouch, and uh, even that San Francisco team is very, very physical. That, that's a tough group to play. Yeah, they took care of Dallas there. Okay, yes, the book is Debt-Free ASAP. John Nicholas, thank you for sharing your insights. We appreciate it. You got it. Nice speaking with you, Gary. Thank you. The recent hostage-taking terror incident at a Jewish synagogue near Dallas should never have happened. Government officials could have prevented it had they done a more thorough job of protecting American Jews and all of us from terror. You see, the terrorist Malik Faisal Akram had a long criminal record in England dating back to the 1990s. 
Fox News reports he was convicted of theft and harassment in 2012 and was even observed as being obsessed with Islam while in prison. A family friend says Akram was not in his right mind. He was a well-known person, uh, having mental health issues, but he, nobody envisaged he would potentially go and do something like this. Folks, this is often the excuse of government officials and others when Jews or Christians are attacked by Muslims. It can't be because of the terrorist's devotion to the Quran or Islamic faith. Akram, they say, was only crazy when he traveled 5,000 miles from Britain to Dallas to attack a synagogue. At least President Biden saw the attack for what it was. This was an act of terror. This was an act of terror. The president explained the attorney general is focused on dealing with these kinds of acts. But, Mr. President, dealing with them? How about preventing them? Akram was an ex-con who held extremist views. How is it that he was granted a visa for entry into the United States under your watch? Akram was reportedly a member of an Islamist group called Jamaat Tabli, an organization suspected of involvement in terrorist plots. He specifically targeted that congregation, the Congregation Beth Israel in Colleyville, because the synagogue is not far from where a convicted Al-Qaeda operative, Afia Siddiqui, is imprisoned. Akram reportedly demanded her release. Folks, we thank God that none of the four hostages were hurt. But did you know that although only 2% of Americans are Jewish, nearly 60% of all hate crimes committed today in the United States are anti-Semitic ones. Jews are the victims. Campus Reform reports the Duke University professor, Imam Abdullah Antepli, is calling on North American Muslims to honestly address an increasing anti-Semitism problem in their midst. Antepli says, quote, we can no longer pretend the problem of anti-Semitism within us does not exist. Folks, a clear message needs to be sent by President Biden, members of Congress, and faith leaders. If you intend to come to this country to live or just to visit, and you hold anti-Semitic views, the door will be closed. You will not be welcomed in the USA. You can keep your hateful intentions at home. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channel, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.